Hello and welcome to Agents of Nonprofit. My name is Alexander Lapa, but please call me Alex, and I'm here to talk to everyday superheroes helping nonprofits using technology. Today I'm joined by Matthew Dubins. Matthew, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alexander. It's great to be here. So for those who don't know you very well or who are meeting you for the first time, could you share a bit about who you are and what you do? Well, uh, I really, I got started in this whole data science endeavor really during my um, undergraduate career when um, I was in a psychology program and as part of the psychology program, uh, I was required to take an intro to statistics course. Uh, that course ended up being uh, just incredibly formative for me. Uh, it introduced me to quantitative thinking and then ultimately to uh, what they called at the time statistical computing, which is basically like doing coding in order to achieve uh, data analysis and data visualization. Uh, and uh, yeah, currently what I do, uh, I run a business focused on um, providing uh, analytics or data science services to the nonprofit industry uh, in North America. Uh, but we'll get to some uh, more detailed info about that uh, soon, I'm sure. Yeah, looking forward to it. So if you can dig a bit deeper, how did you get started with working with nonprofits? Like why nonprofits versus any other industry? So it was kind of random. I sort of fell into it, which uh, as far as I understand is quite common in the nonprofit industry. Um, I just gotten out of the academic space after finishing my master's degree at uh, University of Toronto. I knew the academic lifestyle wasn't for me. So I ventured to find a job that would uh, make use of my great love for data analysis and statistical computing. Uh, I didn't know where I wanted to work, so I simply sent out a whole boatload of resumes in the hopes that something would stick and I'd get a job. Spray and pray, if you will. <laughs> uh, well, it worked because I got an interview at the Canadian Breast Cancer Foundation. And ultimately, they offered me the job. The rather verbose title uh, of the job was Run Data and Research Coordinator. Basically, it was doing a whole bunch of data analytics and reporting for the Run for the Cure. It was there that I learned that the nonprofit industry was a kind of a comfort zone for me. Yes, I was doing data analytics and all, but the subject matter became important for me. Thanks to that random occurrence of me getting a job at CBCF, uh, and not at a for-profit business, the nonprofit world would go on to form the main thrust of my career. Yeah, I find it's, um, I've also noticed that working in the nonprofit space is very comforting. It's very humane. And a lot of people who find themselves in there, you're right, mostly by accident, according to the experience that I've had as well, talking to various people. Uh, once you get to that space, it's very hard to leave. Like it's just, you, you feel more comforted there. From there, what was the driving force behind starting um, Donor Science, which is the company you now run? Uh, yes. So I guess it was due in part to my dissatisfaction with the last company that I worked for that motivated me to reflect on what my ideal job would be. Now, if you're stalking me on LinkedIn, you'll see that the last company that I worked for was a for-profit business uh, and, and not a non-for-profit. Uh, as I reflected on what my ideal job would be, 
my mind was directed to a, a very underdeveloped business idea that I had. Uh, so the gist of that idea was like so. So there are over 80,000 charities in Canada, registered charities, I should say. Uh, some of those charities are quite big uh, and they're great at commanding a lot of donor money and similarly equipped for doing data analytics to support that fundraising. Uh, a lot of charities are quite small, however, uh, and they don't have the knowledge of the value of data analytics or the ability to carry it out. Uh, these charities don't command donor money even remotely as well as the larger charities. I thought to myself, what if I take publicly available data about these charities, uh, and this data includes contact info, bear in mind, uh, and contact them to offer my analytics services. Uh, looking at this idea, I was enchanted by the prospect of striking out on my own. Uh, the subject matter was great. The independence was very tempting uh, and clearly the opportunity to continue doing the stuff I loved was a major driver. So what are some of the services that uh, you offer then at this point? So the services that I offer uh, center around predictive modeling and that predictive modeling can include annual giving donors or even, uh, you know, major gift predictive modeling. Uh, segmentation, so, you know, preparing data uh, from a nonprofit uh, that is about to embark on a particular annual giving campaign, uh, just so that they are contacting people with the right messaging at the right time, uh, using the right language. Uh, also, uh, data mining, and uh, and sur survey creation as well. So I want to jump into some of these uh, different um, services, but before we get there, why is data science important at all? Like why, or what could a nonprofit benefit from uh, access to some of this information? And what is the possibility of, of using this data? Like what are the possible outcomes of using this data? So, you know, I, I feel like when I think about uh, a lot of the smaller nonprofits, the question isn't really, you know, why is the data science uh, so important or, you know, what are the benefits of the data science for them? I feel like uh, a lot of these nonprofits needs to know, you know, uh, what, what's the value of data? You know, they are so um, suspicious of or, or wary of investing in data uh, and instead they will direct their uh, administrative money toward uh, you know paying their fundraisers uh, you know paying their uh, office staff paying their cause marketers or, or what have you um, it, it's it's a really serious problem that so many of these nonprofits, treat data as a luxury that they can't afford. Um, and, you know, I've often heard the refrain, we know our donors. Like, really? Like, you, you know each of your donors personally, and that knowledge is all you need? Uh, <laughs> I, just, I just don't buy it. But, you know, they say that, and then that becomes a way of them saying, they don't need data 
to help them. Now, what I really want nonprofits to know about is you can't afford to ignore data. You really don't even care if you're a small nonprofit. You know, if you want to run a tight ship, uh, then you need to keep tabs on your fundraising. How much money are you raising each year? Uh, how many donors do you have? How many are lapsing? How many are you retaining? Uh, how loyal are your donors? How many are giving at various uh, monetary or uh, frequency levels? Uh, how's your monthly donor program doing? You know, what campaigns are, are working at uh, getting a, a really good response versus, you know, what campaigns aren't working? Uh, you know, I, I could really go on and on, but I won't. Uh, data is just such an important ally to the growth of any nonprofit. And you want to ignore it, sure, but ignore it at your own peril. So when you're talking about data, are you talking about the nonprofit's own data that they collect inadvertently by having uh, donors or volunteers? Are you talking about data that they can access through a third-party system or as publicly available data? Or are you talking about kind of combining the two, augmenting their existing data with data that's available in the public? Um, really, I'm talking about in-house data because, you know, third-party data can definitely be helpful. And I, I do uh, help uh, a certain number of nonprofits with third-party data. But in-house data is, is, is royalty. Uh, there's just so much that you can learn about your own charity uh, and so many opportunities to uh, just really run a tight ship and to, you know, learn what's working and what isn't, you know, who, who are your uh, loyal donors and who isn't, who are your frequent donors and uh, who isn't uh, and so forth. And like all of that, is contained uh, in your in-house data. Now, of course, you know, you could be like a really underdeveloped charity and the only data that you keep is in Excel, uh, like a Microsoft Excel sheet. Uh, and sure, you know, I don't really support maintaining your nonprofit's data in Excel sheets, but if you are really like extremely conscientious uh, about using MS Excel, uh, then you can do that. And you can gain data insights out of, you know, your random Microsoft Excel sheets. But again, it requires like a lot of really uh, heartfelt oversight. Uh, and I don't fully recommend it. But yeah, the in-house data is just so important. And then would you leverage uh, or do you need to leverage a, a CRM or other kind of internal systems as well? Or maybe a, a better question would be, how much data would a nonprofit need before they could start benefiting from analyzing that data? Are we talking about like a, a brand new nonprofit, one that's been around for many years, but might have a messy, uncohesive, you know, unaggregated uh, perspective on their donor data? Like, where, where is that starting point where you can come in and say, okay, here, here's how we can look at this data, here's what you can do with this data, and then, you know, next steps? Um, in my view, the moment that your nonprofit has achieved systematic data collection, 
whether it's that, you know, hotshot data entry person who is assiduously managing those MS Excel sheets, uh, or, you know, you have like a donor CRM that uh, your staff are entering info into. Uh, so long as you have that systematic data entry, then you can start doing data analytics. Really, it doesn't even matter if you're small. It just matters that the data is systematic. Okay, so let's go a bit deeper then into some of the services you offer, or at least the more popular ones. Uh, I've seen on the website you offer five main ones. Let's maybe go one by one. The first one I saw was the, uh, the donor focus model scoring. What does that mean? Okay, so I'm going to try to stay as uh, untechnical as possible in describing these things. Uh, so do bear with me. Donor focus model scoring, it's actually a, an online web app I created uh, that enables one to enter in a gift file and the app will go into that gift file and look at all of the patterns in terms of giving preferences of various types of donors. To be a little bit more precise, the donors that we're looking at are donors who upgrade their giving, uh, donors who reactivate uh, after having uh, lapsed for a year or so, uh, donors who are likely to uh, to go on and, and lapse or you know churn is another word for it uh, and uh, those donors who really just have been inactive uh, for quite a while so it looks at all of those uh, those types of donors and then it tries to predict you know for next year which of your donors, is likely to fall into any one of those categories. Because after all, you know, one of the biggest value propositions of any data analytics, and especially this app that I created, is to cut the cost of donor solicitation and to a slightly smaller extent uh, to try to even increase the return on investment with certain donors. Does that make sense? Totally. So once the um, your system has analyzed the data, what is the basic outcome? So you said it categorizes donors into certain sections and that allows uh, nonprofits to do what exactly? It allows them to figure out who best to contact for different reasons. So for example, uh, a recent client used my web app in order to figure out which donors from their, you know, my client is an, uh, an agency, a fundraising agency. And so uh, their client was the eventual beneficiary of uh, the use of my web app. So yeah, their client was about to run an acquisition campaign using donors who had lapsed. Uh, but they're like this nonprofit that the agency was dealing with had a lot of lapsed donors. So they wanted to kind of um, thin the herd, so to speak, and figure out, you know, which of these lapsed donors would be the, the most 
receptive to reactivating in this acquisition campaign. So yeah, they, they ran this gift file through my system and uh, the system categorized a certain subset of those donors as uh, you know donors who were likely to reactivate. So they took this list of donors then sent off the list to the mailhouse uh, in order to furnish data for their acquisition campaign. Yeah, this sounds like a very valuable analysis. I know that Salesforce does offer certain elements of this uh, out of the box with their Einstein analytics uh, platform, but it's awesome to see that you have something very specific for nonprofits and for donors. Do you have any parallels between those two systems? Do you have any kind of AI or machine learning functionality behind the scenes, or is it more just um, custom algorithms that you built out? Uh, no, it is actually machine learning. Um, yeah, no, it, it's uh, 100%. It uses predictive modeling, um, which I tend to use the term predictive modeling instead of machine learning, but I honestly, they could be used interchangeably in my opinion. Anyway, yeah, no, it uses predictive modeling uh, in order to figure out who is most likely to fall into each of those categories. That's great. Uh, the second service you offer is about discovering new major gift donors. Can you speak a bit more about that, please? Yeah, well, that is actually uh, another instance of uh, a service that is fueled by predictive modeling. So in this case, the idea is to find out, okay, for those donors who were never major gift donors before, which of them looks most like your current major gift donors? Because, you know, the, the thinking behind it is if you can score your donors who haven't already given a major gift, uh, according to how much they look like current major gift donors, uh, then the folks who score uh, the highest, they'll be the, mo the ones most likely to respond to major gift solicitation. But uh, in order to do this, I, I need a lot of data. So <laughs> it's, it, can, it can be a lot. Uh, you know, these sorts of major gift models make use of uh, biographical information, uh, potentially, you know, membership information, uh, volunteer information, event information, uh, and, uh, you know, certainly gift history um, and any other kind of, you know, qualitative information that the uh, the nonprofit stores about that individual, you know, certainly like, let's say it's like a disease awareness charity, uh, then knowing the uh, purpose behind, you know, why a particular donor has given to the nonprofit uh, can be pretty powerful. So, you know, that person might say, oh, you know, family member uh, was afflicted by this particular disease. And if they have enough of those flags in their system uh, where, you know, a family member was afflicted or they themselves are afflicted, like that ends up actually being really good info. Uh, and anyway, last but not least, 
uh, it is often helpful uh, to append third party info uh, about donors wherever possible. And, you know, if you're in Canada, uh, that's going to look something like, uh, you know, an Enveronics Analytics Wealthscapes append. Uh, uh, if you're in America, that's going to look, you know, something like, uh, like a wealth screening, like from uh, DonorSearch, for example. Um, and, you know, I find those third party appends for the most part helpful because they give you uh, a kind of an approximate sense of the donor's philanthropic capacity. You know, to what extent can the donor even part with a considerable sum of, of dollars? Uh, and anyway, yeah, putting that all together, uh, you know, you then score the donors on their, you know, how much they look like a major gift donor. And, you know, that could look like gift of 5,000 plus or 10,000 plus or 20,000, whatever. It varies from, you know, one nonprofit to the next. Um, and, you know, I score the database and I tell them like, okay, these are your people. These are who you want to contact. Uh, but also, um, I generate like a lot of donor data insights from these projects because naturally, when you're searching for patterns, uh, you invariably find them. There's there's patterns like everywhere in the world. For me, it's like being a kid in a candy store finding these patterns, <laughs> and I always always write up, you know, what I found. Uh, in terms of these uh, donor data insights into like a nicely formatted interactive report. Uh, and then, you know, as for next steps, I tell them like, okay, you know, this is what you have to do. You reintegrate the data uh, and then, you know, approach these people who are high, uh, they have a high likelihood to become major gift donors, and they also have a high capacity. Uh, and then they they go off and they they do what they need to do. And that's sorry, that was that was a mouthful, but that's you know the whole major donor thing. You mentioned a key element here. You you mentioned that it's important or it's good to know the reason why a donor gave, and that's I think a key point for most nonprofits is to, if you can find out the reason why, uh, that can really benefit. At some of these predictive models is that would you agree oh i a hundred percent would agree so you know if you have any uh survey data on file you know surveys are are a great way of bubbling that kind of uh important you know human-centric insight uh into the awareness of not only the person analyzing the data but, you know, all the decision makers uh, at the nonprofit. You also mentioned that um, predictive learning or machine learning requires a lot of data and some nonprofits might not have sufficient data to be able to analyze. And you mentioned going out to get uh, trends and other data. So that is a sense of augmenting the nonprofit's existing data with more public trends. Is that right? So uh, I don't want to leave you or your listeners with a mistaken impression about uh, about modeling, uh, you know, you don't need 20,000 donors or 50 or 100,000 plus donors um, in order to do major gift predictive modeling. 
Um, when I talk about going to third-party data sources, it's just about finding a, a, a different perspective on your donors that isn't already captured uh, in your current database. Uh, if you want, you could uh, certainly do a major gift predictive model without the help of an outside source. Uh, I just find in, in most cases, it, it is helpful to get that perspective. There is a uh, elusive chase of trying to find high value or high wealth donors. And you might have a nugget or two in a nonprofit, for example, that's kind of hiding, waiting for the right moment to present themselves. But I also know that there are certain systems out there or applications that you can buy or lean on to, to be able to find them and to, um, to appeal to them. Do you work with any of those kinds of data or is it really, like you said before, focusing on the, the nonprofit's current data? I mean, I, I tend more often than not to focus on a nonprofit's current data. Now, I know there's a well screening company that I work with in the States where they will actually provide you with uh, lists of donors who they have on file from you know various like public sources of information um, and you know all you have to do is tell them what are the causes that you would hope these donors had given to and how much money uh, uh, are you hoping the donors have already given? And they'll actually give you the names and contact info uh, of these uh, donors who would be completely new to the organization. But I think the message that I want to leave with you is you have a better chance at convincing donors with whom you already have a relationship with to give you a significant sum of money than you have of convincing someone completely new to give you a lot of money. It's just so important to treat donors like human beings and not like uh, ATM machines where you're just you know pressing a button and they eject, you know, a lot of cash money at you. So yeah, focus on the relationships that you already have, because those are the most likely ones. Yeah, well said. I agree. Uh, the next service, or I don't think we'll have time to go through all the services, but one of the next services I want to touch upon was Donor Fam. F A M. What does that mean? Donor Fam is another web app that I created that just simply does uh, uh, like RFM database segmentation. Uh, and, you know, it uh, sounds very technical, but at the heart of this kind of segmentation is putting your donors into groups according to how recently they gave to you, the number of gifts in their most recent year of giving, uh, and also the monetary level that they gave at in their most recent year. And that, that's really all it is. It's just doing like really simple uh, uh, analytics to show you 
which are your most profitable or uh, loyal or frequent donors? That's it. Up until now, we've been talking a lot about donors. Is your practice mostly focused around donations or does it manage other trends like uh, volunteering or other types of constituents? Yeah, no, it's really just uh, donors so far. Uh, Theoretically, I could work on a project that involves uh, members instead of donors. Um, I've yet to come across such project requirements, however. So there's quite a bit of data out there, uh, either you know internally to a nonprofit or available. I'm curious to know some of the ethical issues about data science that a, a nonprofit would be uh, would need to be aware of. How do you manage within an organization, you know, certain private information that PII they call it, to making sure that only certain people have access to data, that it's not shared uh, publicly, uh, credit card information, you know, stuff like that. How do you do you offer any kind of best practices toward the ethical parts of data science? Okay, so I mean, you mentioned about uh, PII. Uh, what I do for the most part is to tell nonprofits uh, not to share with me names and street addresses unless uh, obviously the project requirements demand it, which sometimes they actually do. Now, I mean, there's a whole other worlds of uh, ethical quagmires uh, that nonprofits can get into uh, with their data. And I'd actually be remiss if I didn't mention my analytics consultant friend, uh, Meenakshi Das, uh, as you know, you could do like a whole podcast episode on uh, ethical issues in data science based on what I've seen her write about. So then in terms of AI, we talked about AI, machine learning, predictive uh, learning. This is obviously a relatively new um, ability to analyze data. I'm curious to know where, where the trend is going in terms of AI. Like, it's obviously the shiny new toy. There's a lot of things you can do with it. You know, what has been the impact in your perspective in the last few years, and where do you see things going in terms of AI capabilities? Well, it's had a really big impact uh, from my perspective. Uh, and it will continue to have a really big impact uh, as it becomes uh, adopted more and more. Uh, it's still, in my view, it hasn't been adopted nearly enough. Yes, it has been out for several years, uh, but the nonprofit industry is fairly conservative in the sorts of uh, technology and tools that it adapts. You know, the impact really at the end of the day is all about making your donor solicitations uh, more efficient and more uh, impactful. I mean, there, there will always be people who are just not going to budge when it comes to uh, their relationship with your nonprofit. Machine learning or AI helps you separate the wheat from the chaff. You know, when you focus on uh, donors, who are quite likely to respond to your solicitation uh, and you're able to identify those donors uh, on whom you're going to waste your time, uh, your solicitations become way more efficient because you're spending less money and you're still getting like just amazing, like an amazing response. Uh, Another thing that I've, I've seen sort of showing up 
is the use of AI to um, efficiently formulate these uh, solicitation emails. Uh, so you know, using all of the you know data available on, of your donors on file, uh, I've seen there's this one particular tool that will formulate you know the first draft of an email to your donors, uh, and you know that seems even to be even more of a, a shinier tool. And yeah, like just anything that you know streamlines the use of machine learning. Uh, you know, CRMs that, you know, constantly uh, rescore donors as, uh, you know, new information comes in about those donors, uh, that, that might actually come to be, you know, more widely adopted. I mean, we're, we're just going to find it uh, occupying more and more of the industry uh, as time goes on. What are some of the limits of data science? I mean, you have all these great tools. You can you can do so many things, analyzing data to make it a more personalized message. I, I love the fact that actually there's the possibility of an AI building an email from scratch. That's that's taking email templating to a whole new level. But what are the, some of the limits? What are the things that it can't do that or it shouldn't do? Maybe is a better question. Okay, in terms, I, I like the I like the question of what shouldn't it do. AI or machine learning should not take the place of well thought out human donor relations. You know, it just, uh, I think if you remove the human element and, you know, the donor feels as though they're just on some sort of a, a conveyor belt, then it's just it's going to fall flat you know it uh a nonprofit needs uh, a lot of the human touch in uh their relations with their donors now one of the things that uh, data science cannot do for nonprofits is to uh, identify biases in the source data so who is being uh, systematically ignored? You know, who uh, is, you know, in fact, uh, underprivileged? Uh, or, you know, what data isn't being collected uh, about the individuals in your nonprofit? Because after all, you know, if your uh, database doesn't track certain kinds of information uh, about your donors, the, the data science techniques aren't going to be able to tell you anything about the biases uh, that are inherent in you know, what was collected about donors. Since you like analyzing trends, from your perspective, how has COVID had an impact towards nonprofits? So in my view, uh, COVID has created this kind of urgency to hustle more when it comes to ensuring the future of one's nonprofit. Uh, I've seen increased activity uh, since 2020. And while it's possible that it might peter out uh, as time goes on, we'll see about that. I've noticed also that, uh, just to add a bit more color to it, I've noticed that a lot of nonprofits that might have done a lot of things manually or offline 
have been forced to embrace the online world more than ever before, to, to streamline you know the limited resources that they, that they do have at the moment to get the maximum out of it. So I think you know using better analytical tools, for example, is one of the the tools in their workshop that they should leverage. Uh, yeah, no, totally agree. So what's in your short term future then? What would you like to where would you like to be in the next few years? Uh, <laughs> more data. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also uh, hoping for opportunities to collaborate with my peers uh, and uh, hope, hopefully even uh, to get opportunities to delegate work to others. And you, you wrote something interesting on LinkedIn on your profile. You said, I won't stop until I've left my mark. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, it means that when it comes to data analytics, uh, I would like to see myself as the force of nature. So much so that I help change the nonprofit industry, even by just a little. If I do, that'll bring even more meaning to what I've done. Uh, the knowledge that I've left the nonprofit industry a little better than when I entered it. And that's great. Matthew, where can people find more about you online? Uh, certainly by checking out my website, www.donorscience, as in science class www.donorscience.ca. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, you're welcome very much. Thanks, Alex. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Alexander Lapa, and I hope you join me again next time for Agents of Nonprofit.